Coming up in this episode of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast, a change from our usual format, so no news and roundup of the latest stories, but instead we have a very special guest, Dominic Meyer from the Swiss national Pespalo team, who is an active member at trying to spread the word of Pespalo internationally. That's coming up on this episode of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast. And welcome to episode 17 of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast. Unfortunately, we were unable uh, to meet to discuss the usual roundup of the news and latest games and talk about some of the very exciting topics going on in Super Pessis at the moment. But instead, we did manage uh, to have an interview with Dominic Meyer from the Swiss Pespalo team. Uh, Dominic uh, plays for Solothurn in Switzerland and is an avid member of the international Pespalo community. Let's see what happened when we caught up with him. Um, joining us now uh, in this half of the uh, show is our first special guest of the season. Um, it's somebody renowned in the world of uh, Swiss Pespalo and indeed international uh, fans may know him as well from some of the talks that he's given uh, over the last year or so as well. It's Dominic Meyer from uh, Switzerland. Uh, Dominic, how are you doing? Hello. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm doing really well. I'm enjoying enjoying the hot weather. Bit down after yesterday's loss from Switzerland in the uh, EM, but uh, yeah, that's that's sport. <laughs> that's how it goes. Sometimes you win, yeah. sometimes you lose. Yeah, well, uh, you got further than uh, my beloved Scotland or, or Mikos Finland as well, so there we go. <laughs> but there we are. Um, we're here, of course, to talk about uh, Pespalo. It, it, it's quite uh, an, an oddity for people in Finland to hear people outside of Finland talking about this sport, but it's it's such a wonderful sport. Um Lots of people know how I uh, came to it, but uh, Dominic, how did you start playing Pespalo? Um, well, I've started playing it's about now eight or nine years ago because um, our team captain, Reto Brocci, uh, he used to be my teacher in secondary school. And so, as you do as a teacher, you try to make it interesting for your students. And so he invited our class yeah. for a training. He went to play with us. And um, from then on, I got hooked and I've been playing ever since. And what's the history of Pespalo in Switzerland? Um, in Switzerland, it started in 1992, actually, when the um, it's the Association of the Friends of Finland Um who were basically a bunch of Finns living in Switzerland um, that started playing with each other and then 
as you do when you walk by, you stay and watch and think about what's this crazy sport they are playing there. And so it, it grew over time and now we, we are a really cool community. Well, I know that um, sport plays a, a, a very important part of, uh, of life in Switzerland and indeed um, baseball has taken a hold there just about a decade before, sometime in the 1980s, I think. Um, you mentioned just before coming on uh, the start of the league uh, in Switzerland, uh, one of the few countries that actually has a, a league uh, for Pespalo. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, the type of teams that are in the league and what the system is for that league? Um, so, yeah, the league, as we know it today, uh, started in 2013. Before that, we were always just having a couple of friendly days where we go to each other playgrounds and have a couple of matches there. And then we always had like the final weekend where we uh, everybody played everyone um, twice. And then we had the the register and then we just had like the, the finals on, on Sunday. And now because we, we are currently we are six teams in Switzerland, we have two from Solothurn. Now this year, the first time where we have managed to make two teams, we have one from Zurich, which are the current champions. Um, we have one from Winterthur, one from the eastern part of Switzerland. And the, the youngest new team basically is Basel. And so now we have um, three play days where each team has two games. Well, except the, the last, of course. So each team has five games. It's gonna, there's gonna be um, a tableau, and afterwards on Sunday, as usual, the final games will be played. And also for the finals, we always, um, or we try to always invite um, some official referees. Usually, it's um, Anti Kailo who who came, but last. Or the the year before in 2019, it was um, Miko Kotiniemi who came yeah, to ref yeah. for us, um, which I think it's great because it's 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 it feels just so appreciated, and we always love it having uh, the Finns over uh, to referee for us. Looking at the World Cups that. Um have been in terms of Pespalo. I can see that uh, Switzerland have featured in the medals table a couple of times in the past, but um, uh, only bronzes up until 2019, um, which was uh, a fantastic result for, for Switzerland. You've uh, finished with a silver medal, um, and Bangladesh, of course, got the bronze, uh, Finland with the gold. Um, and Dominic, you were at that World Cup, weren't you? I was, yeah. It was just an amazing experience because first of all almost none of our team had been to India before um, we've been to as really as a team we've been to the 2015 World Cup in, in Lucerne before that it was always just um, a couple of guys from from the Swiss Pesapallo who, who went to the other World Cups but as a team it was one of the first times then of course, of course Turku and um, now in India, where we were like 20 people, we've managed to put up two teams, one mixed and one men's team. 
Yeah, we have had some great games. Um, and then, of course, the final against Finland, where we got completely destroyed. But still, we were overwhelmed by the, the joy of achieving the silver medal, which was just, we wouldn't have even dreamt about achieving that going into the World Cup. Yeah, and I, I really need to say about the team Switzerland and all their like sportsmanship that they showed throughout the World Cup, it, it actually played a big part of creating the kind of an atmosphere that I wanted to feel in the World Cup because I know that you you guys were both competitive but also like supporting your own team, cheering for your own team, but also like like I said, showing good sportsmanship. And uh okay, every team tries their best and be really they want to win the games and be competitive. But I think that for some for some teams it went over the top at some points. So it was like we needed that. So we needed that like calming presence of the like the Finnish team and that positivity that you guys brought to the to the table. And it was like uh I didn't know any of you guys before like coming to the World Cup, but it was so easy to get along with each and every member of your team. So it was like it was a pleasure of meeting you meeting you guys like on and off the court. So it was something that I wish to have a lot more in Pesapallo in the future. Well, I'd certainly agree with that. Um, one of the uh, things about the World Cup was obviously the playing conditions are very different um, to what you're both used to, of course. Um, playing on grass, for starters, uh, from Miko's perspective, um, but certainly the, the heat and, and, and the weather as well, very, very different. How did you find adjusting to some of those conditions, Dominic? I mean, in the beginning, it was it was rather difficult, to be fair. Um, we are also used to playing on grass or some harder undergrounds when we play, uh, for example, in winter tour. They have like a yeah an all terrain or an all weather turf, and we play on grass, and the other teams do as well. So. Um, it was quite difficult and also as you said with the heat because it was really it was hot and even hotter than in switzerland because the world cup was on beginning of december where we are used to degrees around zero degrees celsius and then it was just a 30 degree difference um but yeah we i think we've adjusted rather well um and were able to to make the most out of it well, you talked about um, playing on sort of harder surfaces and, and grass. Um, obviously, for fans who, who watch games uh, in Finland, it, it's quite an alien concept now to go back to, to grass. Um, do you think that uh, that gave you a little bit of an edge in some of the games that you played? Um, I think what we had a bit of an advantage is that um, we are used to moving around especially in the backfield because what the first thing we we've experienced was that the ball was really bouncing bouncy on the underground at the world cup and it was really difficult to run after it because it it just it just went you couldn't if you didn't catch it on the first bounce it went and it was so 
um, difficult to to kind of see where it will go. As for example, on on our turfs, it's usually a bit softer uh, on grass where the ball doesn't bounce as much. And for example, if you are in the backfield, it's easier to adjust to that. You can basically wait for the ball. But there on during the World Cup, you had to be as a copperit, you had to be on edge all the time. Yeah, and also like uh, in hindsight, if I would prepare my team, the young young guys from Nepal over again for the tournament, uh, I would probably go with the same kind of tactic that you guys used in some of the games, which was like using three outfielders in in certain situations because. That is, that is something that has never like even crossed my mind because it, it, I have grown to like to think of the game in a way that we have two outfielders. So you have two Coppare because the field is so narrow. But uh, in, in most of the games, as you said, the, the surface was bouncy. It was so uneven that uh, we can think of the worst pitch we have ever played in and like quantified by four or five so it was like i i have played on some and we played these junior tournaments uh each year we play them on like awful surfaces but this was this was just downright dangerous i mean it had like hole it was like it had holes in the ground that was like i it's a yeah, so it was like a miracle that nobody broke their ankle or anything like that by just running. But, but yeah, uh, that a lot of the players in the World Cup have played baseball or cricket before that, and they just wanted to hit the ball far and fast. So it was like our two outfielders in the in the Nepal teams they were in a rush all the time. And uh, even because I realized that the situation was like that, we got uh, we got one addition to the team Nepal uh, in the end of the training camp. So we got one outfielder from the Nepal uh, national baseball team, who was like he was our most like uh, experienced player like three three or four years older than the other ones. And he came to the team because of his outfielder capabilities. Because I realized that those young guys, they wouldn't be able to like stop those hits by, by just two of them over there. Yeah, what, um, what we saw, basically also what our coach saw was that, as you said, most of the um, other teams or the other players They've played baseball or cricket before, so their hits were usually quite high and far, as opposed to the finish hits that are, like you see in Super Bases, are incredible. I mean, as a normal guy playing baseball, you have no chance of getting to the ball. But there we saw, okay, most of the hits are far and high, so we resort to our earlier playing style with, as you said, three outfielders, fielders, one who is really at the far end and the other two that work also as like an assurance for the second and third base, because that is also yeah. what we we were used to play. We just switched up to the 
I'm saying official um, yeah. playing style with two and two um, before the 2017 World Cup. Or oh, no, 2015 actually. Yeah, and uh, just one thing that actually is, I think that is interesting is that uh, the kind of a tactic where you have like you have this kind of a so to say diamond on the outfield where one guy plays in the middle and two play on the on the sides uh it was it was used in Pesapallo like in the first uh 30 40 years I mean, we even had these, we we had those positions and we have names for those positions, but only the, like nowadays, only the historians that speak about Pesapalo know, even know the names of those positions. But they, I mean, they, they are, they can be very useful, but now the game at the top end has evolved uh, to, to a different level, but on a junior level. Those are, I mean, those are very useful tactics still to use. Well, we often talk about uh, in the show uh, how different countries make the sports their own and they, they adjust their playing style um, and, and how the sport actually grows um, to match their, their kind of way of thinking, their conditions uh, and so on. And certainly um, this, this tactic... Uh, that we've been talking about is something that Miko and I have discussed uh, a couple of times um, before. Uh, so so interesting was it to us. Um, so that was that was great to uh, to talk about that in a bit more depth. Um, but Dominic, are, are there other things that um, the Swiss teams uh, have, have incorporated and indeed in the league, which are different to uh, perhaps how people would play in Finland? Um, yeah, there are a couple things that I see that we do different as, for example, uh, on the World Cups, we see the, the Finns do. Um, for example, our, well, this is a very Solothurn specific thing, but our Maki isn't done with the colored fan. Uh, we usually do a sign like touching your helmet or holding yeah. the bat with uh, one hand or something like that. And it's usually the hitter who decides if he wants to do like just a, a short hit or um, we've got more communication in between the hitters and the runners. For example, I'm usually the first to run and then we have number two and number three who are quite fast as well. Then number four and five and six who are usually our best hitters, but still not the slowest. Um, and what I've found out or what I've, think is the case um, that the Finns usually have the, the fastest two or the front two and then the rest is just to to bring them home but uh, of course in super bases it's uh, always different as well and also as I said uh, the first three they communicate with each other and usually we, we don't even make a mark because we say okay on the first hit or on the second hit doesn't yeah. matter how the Lucari pitches the ball, you just go and he does a short hit. Um, yeah, that's something that I think is quite different. Yes, it is. And it's actually one thing that uh, caught my eye because that, that is something that is used at the highest levels in, in Finland because 
if if you think about the whole signal system, uh, when you come to those situations, those fast situations, that for example, you are number one, you get maybe you get a walk to first base. Uh, the Lukare just throws the ball to first base and back. You 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 literally you had to run to first base. Uh, it actually makes things more simple that the number two has their individual signs. And that way they can also, like, they can take a look at what is happening on the pitch, uh, even if the Lukari slows down the tempo. And just taking out the game manager and the Vyuka, it takes away one big part of concentration. But it, it okay, it, it brings a lot of responsibility to the batter. But that is that is a very common thing that in superpasses most of the number twos, for example, use their own individual signs between the number one and two. Well, we we talked a little bit about the uh, the league. Um, you mentioned that uh, the games have just started uh, there finally um, after some of the coronavirus uh, restrictions started to ease. Um, and the the first weekend of games uh, happened. At the, I think it was a, a week or two ago. Is that right? Where do you see the the future for a best polo in Switzerland? Because obviously uh, this year has expanded again um, that little bit, and uh, you were knocking on the door of a gold medal at the last World Cup, if I put it that way. Um, certainly, Miko speaks very highly of the Swiss team uh, and the future it has. But but where do you see? Switzerland. The future of, of Swiss Pesapalo is I really hope that we can establish more and more teams um, or also that we can strengthen the teams that we have because um, as in every sport the biggest challenge is that you always get new members to try the sport and also those who, who stay to keep practicing and keep playing so I'm really happy that we, we've got with Basel a new team that we have now managed to make two teams with uh, Solothurn just to bring more practice into the games and also help each other out because um, it's it's really a big family in Switzerland, the Pesapalo. And if one team maybe isn't enough to play, we always help each other out. Um, and I, I really think also due to the fact that, for example, Basel, Zurich, all, basically all the teams also Winterthur and uh, Team Eastern Switzerland, we've gotten really competitive and the games have gotten much closer. Um, the decisions are not as clear as they used to be. And so I'm really happy with how it's evolving. Of course, for the next World Cup, it would be great if we can challenge Finland again or whoever in the finals um, maybe with a different outcome um, or just to kind of tease them a bit to annoy them a bit not really um, to yeah. just to challenge them a bit so this is always always our goal but I'm I'm thinking that we we are really in a good stage of development of the sport of Pesapalo in Switzerland well one thing that um certainly Miko and I are trying to do is is bring the information uh, about Pespalo uh, into a different language other than Finnish because one of the 
the key barriers for this sport growing has been the availability of this information, um, not just at a basic level, but also some more complex analysis on games. Um, have you found it difficult getting hold of information about the sport? Um, yes, sometimes, because um, we we have lots of Finns in the Swiss League, but for example, in Team Solothurn, we have just two. <laughs> we used, for a couple of years, we, we were the only team or one of the only teams who didn't have anyone speaking Finnish. So it was kind of difficult if there was a rule change or if we had to look up the rules and didn't have a translator for us. Of course, with uh, if we, if we was, were with the other teams, it was easy because they could translate it for us. But um, yeah, if you want to look something up for yourself, for example, if you <laughs> lie, lie awake late, late at night and think about something that happened during training or during a game and you want to go and look it up and you just find the information on Finnish, it's, it's quite difficult. Yeah, I, I think that the story of Pesapallo in Switzerland, it has a lot of similarities of how the uh, how Pesapallo got to Germany at some point and they had the they had the Bundesliga for for a while in the like 1980s or the early 1990s or so and uh, the only serious uh how should i say it the only the only time that the Pesapalolito the federation in Finland has actually tried to export the game was in 1970s when they made some uh, rule books and some like info leaflets in german and tried to like try to export the game to germany because they knew that there was there was some like uh schlagball or something like that they used to play uh in the earlier centuries like in the german region so they tried that and but but other than that there has been like in in sweden they have had like finnish people moving there and starting to play but that also died down it was quite big at some point but uh, for me the best thing in the swiss pesapalo is that okay there there are also uh, the finnish born players who have spread the knowledge and so on. But then there are like people uh, like you and the, there, there, were, there were a lot of players in your teams and in the community in the World Cup who were like, uh, like athletic people between like uh, uh, 20, 35, something like that. And people who play other sports and are interested in, that kind those kinds of things and it's it, it's a big pleasure for me to hear that for example that you're able to have two teams now from Solothurn because that's how the like the things start rolling and uh just let's just be happy what with what we have right now well i think i've seen that leaflet you're talking about miko somewhere on the internet <laughs> At some point, um, but there are my uh, my knowledge of German sadly isn't as as good as it was when I did it at GCSE a long long time ago. Um, 
But I, I want to um, say a big thank you to our guest, uh, Dominic Meyer, for joining us uh, for the podcast today. Um, good luck for the season. And I hope to see you in Finland for the next World Cup. Um, and we'll see what uh, what happens there. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. And yes, I'm certainly looking forward to the next World Cup. And uh, hopefully we can watch some exciting games there. I also want to thank my co-host for joining me for this interview, Mikko Pirhonen. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure. And that leaves just me. Uh, your host, Ian Alba. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, then please like or subscribe. Uh, We also uh, have articles on the blog. That's superpessisroundup.blogspot.com. We are also on Twitter, uh, Facebook and Instagram. So please check us out there. And occasionally you'll see me writing for Portolinia website as well. But until next time, we'll see you soon. If you've got something that's hidden far away